I literally lifted Rally Kitty up like Rafiki did Simba and the Lion King and just, you know, Hakuna Matata. Ducks win, Blazers win, fantastic. Let's go! Welcome to the 33rd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, live from Rip City, and I got my man. Sage, just really excited after that game. My God, it was a roller coaster of emotions for me, that game. It is 11.40 p.m. on a Saturday night. The Trailblazers have just got back into the series by way of an eight-point victory over the Clippers, 96-88 to 88 in Game 3. Los Angeles leads 2-1, but there's one more in Rip City before we head back down to the City of Angels. And uh, this is dedication, Sage. I texted you right after Blazers' victory. And I said, I'm feeling good. We don't have a guest lined up. Let's go. Saturday night, where else would you rather be? Nowhere, man. Honestly, it, it was either the, doing this podcast or playing 2K. And I played 2K already today, so it's it's time to go to work. And there was no way in hell I was recording this podcast if we had went down 0-3. Uh, that would have been a struggle street of a podcast. Uh, I would have been super grumps. At least if I had a night's rest, I could have uh, brought myself back to my podcast game and been somewhat objective, but... We're feeling good. We're back into the series. We are not down 0-3, and I'm so thankful for that. And uh, I don't know how loud it sounded on TV, but that was legitimately one of the loudest arenas I've ever been into for a Trailblazers game. My ears are still ringing. I've lost my voice a little bit. Olga's lost her voice a little bit. We were chanting defense, beat L.A., anything, everything, at any given opportunity. It was loud. So if you were at the game or you were at home making noise, Pat yourself on the back, bring it even harder for Game 4, because I honestly believe the crowd played a huge role in the Trailblazers picking up this victory tonight. Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, the, the emotion of the crowd is going to hype the players up that extra little bit. I mean, the, 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 the Rose Garden is one of those arenas where it's just you get an advantage when the crowd's rocking and all that. It, it's just plain and simple. I didn't really hear the crowd that much, but I was on that ESPN joint. I didn't hear it, but man, the way you're you're sounding right now, I, I, I can definitely imagine it. I mean, it might have been the two beers at the game and the old-fashioned pre-game that I had, but I was rowdy, and I was loud, and I was proud, and it's going to be even more on Monday. My parents are coming up for the game. Olga's going to be there be the day before my birthday. And uh, I would love an early birthday present. The Blazers already delivered Rally Kitty, whose birthday is tomorrow, which no coincidence the Blazers won because Rally Kitty's birthday is tomorrow. So we've got some good juju. We've got some good vibes going on to at least get this tied up heading back down to Los Angeles. Want to explain who Rally Kitty is or just leave it? Oh, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, at DHaas22, you already know. It's it's Earthface, the, the tuxedo cat who... Whenever the Blazers or Ducks, Ducks football needed a big play, he's always there. Uh, for instance, the Ducks were in Arizona State playing a, a big game against the Sun Devils. And actually, as I'm talking to him right now, he got up on the couch and is getting love from my wife. He, he knows I'm talking about him. He knows he's the good luck charm. 
the Ducks were faced with a fourth and forever game on the line. Vernon Adams scrambles. He's being chased by three defensive linemen. Literally tosses up a Hail Mary from 25 yards deep. It's somehow grabbed by Dwayne Stanford, and the Ducks win the game. I literally lifted Rally Kitty up like Rafiki did Simba and the Lion King and just, you know, Hakuna Matata. Ducks win. Blazers win. Fantastic. All because of Rally Kitty. And uh, we've got these good vibes going on, and it's only going to keep rolling. So watch out, Clippers. So it was... How packed was was there? People like in the standing room behind you and stuff. Oh, standing room was packed. It was loud. It was. You've been to a regular season game. You want, and I'm not speaking in hyperbole. You want to amplify that by ten. Every possession, fans are chanting defense. Every made basket. I mean, you're on your feet nearly the entire fourth quarter. Every free throw matters. Every foul matters. Uh, it's just intensified, and it was great to see the Blazer backcourt finally play well together. It had been a long time since Lillard and McCollum have been on the same page. But early on in that game, Dame set the tone. The first bucket was a pull-up three, and he told the Clippers right then and there, your trap at half court is not going to impact my play. It is not going to define this series. I'm going to take this series in my hands, and I'm going to make shots that I know I can make. Uh, The team collectively missed so many open shots in game two. A lot of them continued that in Game 3, but thankfully, Dame and CJ just had it rolling. Dame had 32 points, which uh, ties his playoff career high uh, on 50% shooting, which is you always love to see. 3 of 8 from deep, got to the line 9 times, hit 9 of those. Bill Shomley would be so proud of you, Dame. Uh, 5 rebounds, yeah, only 2 assists, but when CJ's the only other you know comrade that's getting it going, that's not surprising. And speaking of CJ... What a bounce back night. This was the CJ we saw in the Memphis Grizzlies series. 27 points, 2 of 5 from downtown, 5 boards, 2 dimes. Those two combined for 59 points. That is going to get it done every single time. And it couldn't have come at a better time for the Trailblazers who were in dire need of offense. Yeah, I mean, that first quarter for Davian was just swag on swag on swag. He was feeling it. Pull-up jumpers, layups. He was attacking the basket like a madman. Playing like regular season Dame. Because the first two games, he wasn't establishing his dominance early. This game, it was all him in the first quarter. And then and you mentioned swag. Those two definitely played with a chip on their shoulder. Like, they belonged out there. Mm-hmm. I know going into games one and game two, they, they knew they belonged. But they really... Felt like, okay, we're in this series. We may be down two games. We're going to take this one. And you could just see in their body language and their demeanor. They were playing like Chris Paul was playing in Los Angeles, setting the tone right off the bat. My favorite play from CJ, either both happened in the first half. He probed and went all the way around Mm -hmm. the, the baseline. Stopped, hit that baseline jumper, and then the second one drew an and one by shaking Austin Rivers out of his Nikes, and Rivers had to dive at his ankles, which resulted in the foul, and he got the and one. CJ flexed those muscles, and you could tell he was feeling himself, the crowd was feeling him, and uh, you knew the the Clippers were in for a tough night. You know, it was nip and tuck. Uh, I thought Portland controlled the tempo. They got out to a 22-19 lead after the first quarter, which I thought was just crucial, especially with a home game. You want to keep the home crowd uh, energized and rejuvenated. But also, 
when the Los Angeles Clippers went up four, Jamal Crawford had just gotten an and one on a bogus call. CJ came right back to three, got us with that right back within one point. And at that point, I thought, okay, we could do this. So that was probably the biggest shot of the game that CJ pull up three from the middle of the floor. That's probably Portland season right there. If that doesn't go in or Portland doesn't convert, you're looking at a uphill climb down four, trying to play defense with the clock ticking away. You're, the, the season literally seconds away from, from expiring. How were the fans feeling in the Rose Garden in that fourth quarter? Because personally, watching it at home, I texted you, oh, no. Because I thought all the momentum was with the, the, the Clippers. So I thought, oh, this is going to be one of those fourth quarter heartbreakers. But was the fans in the Rose Garden feeling that way? Or were, did they have supreme confidence in their team? You know, once the Clippers got that four-point lead, it was a little bit quiet, but, like, that next possession, everyone was still chanting, let's go Blazers, clapping, encouraging them. As soon as CJ hit that three, it was just right back into it. We might as well have been up 11 points at that point, and it only intensified. Every defensive stop, every time DeAndre went to the line and missed, every time the Blazers made a play, our fans were there to intensify that, and and uh, amplify that possession and that's really what home court advantage is all about unfortunately Portland only gets three of these games if it does go at least six at home but for at least we're talking game three they made this one count Mm -hmm. so I, I think that scoring the basketball was such a was such a struggle for the team and it was really Dave and CJ were the 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 offensive players on that team. I was super upset with Alan Crabb's play because if he, it seemed like his shot wasn't falling, which made him not want to play as tough of defense as I know he can do. And Terry Stotts actually playing him over Henderson, which I thought he was more of a calming influence. He didn't have any scoring, but I don't know. Like I, I, th- I thought Alan Crabb was a negative while... <clears throat> a super negative while Hendo was just sort of marginal. So I, I, I mean, when you're Terry Stott and you've got Alan Crabb going scoreless for the for back-to-back nights, 0-4, and, and Gerald Henderson, who has been MIA after that strong first game performance, goes 1 of 7, they combined for two points. Our backup wings gave us two points, and we still won this game. I don't really think you can blame Stott for playing Crabb three and a half more minutes than, than Henderson. Neither of them had it going on. I thought Crabb started to play a little bit better defense down the stretch, but as amazing as Damon and CJ were, those two are going to have to just simply pick it up. Portland got destroyed by the bench again, 30-12. to 12. And really, I thought Portland's bench second did good defensively. Jamal Crawford was really the only player that had it going uh, 19 points, but he had to take 18 shots to get there. He didn't connect on a single three and only got to the line one time. No other Clipper bench player scored more than four. I thought it was extremely key that Austin Rivers was limited to four points. Cole Aldrich was a non-factor. Yes, he had seven rebounds in 12 minutes, but those rebounds didn't feel as clutch or crucial as the ones down in the Staples Center. So Portland did a great job of neutralizing that bench. I was telling Olga on the walk home across the Broadway Bridge had Mo and Aminu and Gerald and Allen hit their open shots. This game is a 20-point blowout. Portland probably does that same thing in Los Angeles in Game 2. 
the Clippers have played two pretty poor offensive games. So give the give the Blazers defense some credit. If they if if other players can just step up, this team has a legitimate chance to advance to the second round of the playoffs. Yeah, but it it, it seems like it, it's such an uphill battle for those role players and those fringe guys to actually put the ball in the bucket. I thought, what was Aminu's percentage from the field? Because I know it was awful, but... Aminu had a a 9 points and 7 boards, shot 4 of 12 from the field and 1 of 5 from 3. But I will give him credit. So if something's not working, he's trying to make something out of it. He, He knows it is. Oddly enough, the 3 he hit was probably the most difficult shot of the entire series. But I, I think just winning, winning helps. You can almost erase the first three games. Blazers are going to start over in game four. Hopefully, Henderson, Crab, and Aminu, their memories just get reset back to end of the regular season, and they can go in with a fresh slate because the pressure's off now. We got that one. We're not down 0-3. Come to the Garden Monday night and just let it fly. And the, the major reason, yes, the Blazers back it's going to get all the publicity. But for the second straight night, Mason Plumley was the X factor. And I have not been the biggest Plumley fan on this podcast. I've questioned the trade for Rondé Hollis Jefferson countless times. But he has been such an X factor for this team. The way he's able to pass the basketball out of probably free throw line extended has been so crucial. And credit Terry Stotts for utilizing that because – the Clippers are either going to have to decide, are we going to let Mason Plumlee dictate the offense from the high post, or are we going to stop blitzing Damian Lillard? For once, Portland has Doc Rivers guessing on what he wants to do, and that can only be a benefit to the Trailblazers. Plumlee tonight was amazing. Six points on 205 shooting, a career-high 21 rebounds, and nine assists. He is the first player since Kevin Garnett in 2004 to have 20-plus rebounds and 9-plus assists. The 20 rebounds was the most in a Trailblazers playoff game since 1985. Sam Bowie had that. That that is amazing company that Mason Plumlee just did, and it's not a flash in the pan. It's not a fluke. He nearly had a triple-double in Game 2, and I was just watching Talking Ball, and they said, well, what do the Clippers do? Exactly what I just said. They're either going to have to say... We're going to stop blitzing on the pick and roll, or are we going to make Mason Plumlee beat us offensively? But I don't know if you can make Plumlee beat you, beat you offensively because he's wide open when he gets the ball at the top of the key. He can literally take two steps and he's dunking the basketball. And, I mean, when he got the ball off the pick and roll, it, it felt like he was very comfortable in what he was doing, that he could capably do this. So it wasn't some crazy lucky play, passed it to Harkless, because he did it again, or when he found the open guy at the three. So he he can sustainably do this stuff, and that's what Doc Rivers has to be thinking, because he didn't go out of his mind to do it. It was all very tactical basketball moves. A fantastic point, Sage. He wasn't playing out of his mind. This was just getting the ball at the free throw line and making a decision. Two of my favorite plays happened back-to-back, and Dame got blitzed on the double, Lobbed it over to Mason. Mo Harkless was mm-hmm. on the free throw line on the strong side, came running in. He threw a lob twice in a row to Harkless, got him going, and there is no answer for that play. That is going to loosen up the defense on Lillard and let him go one-on-one, which is exactly what Terry Stotts wants. Uh, Harkless had a tough night shooting uh, from three, 0 of three, missed 
badly on a lot of attempts. But you take those threes out, he was 5 of 6 from the field with 10 points and 7 rebounds. Five of those on the offensive glass. Portland does not win without him attacking the glass. He had some big-time follow dunks. And his, and his motor. That was the thing that was most impressive. His motor for those rebounds and those hustle plays. That was what made me think, this dude is shining. Even though he isn't the most consistent shooter, he is doing other small things to help this team win. And that is really good for the Blazers' future. If he's willing to do all those small stuff, battle on the boards, make DeAndre a little more tired because he has to box him out. He has a handful trying to get the offensive rebounds. Put effort into stopping him. And what I loved about Terry Stotts, and we're fair on this podcast. We'll go at him when he moves up, but he's been amazing these past two games. You look at Chris Paul. Yes, he had 26 points. It did take him 21 shots and nine assists. But I loved Mo Harkless defending him, and he was almost shadowing CP3. Every time Chris Paul went in the game, Mo Harkless went in the game. I thought he made life really difficult for Chris Paul. And the few open shots he got, Paul made. But the, most of his jumpers were, were pretty tough. He didn't get to live in that paint. Mm-hmm. The Blazers did a fantastic job of defending that paint. They actually outscored the Clippers 34-32 in the paint. So, you know, Terry, you can't see it, but my hat's off to you, my friend. That was a great defensive strategy you executed tonight. Yeah, I like the alternative looks on Chris Paul. Just making... Like, no one person can stop Chris Paul from doing his thing when, he, when it's playoff time. But throwing those alternative looks at him was really a smart thing to do. I saw Amidu on him. I saw Harkless on him. I saw Henderson on him a few plays. And he looked frustrated. He wasn't as comfortable as he was in the Staples Center. And as much credit as we've got to give those guys on CP3, we need to shout out C.J. McCollum. I thought he busted his ass on defense on J.J. Redick and even deflected a couple of his shots. Redick was a complete non-factor. Five points on two of ten shooting, one of four from three. I thought Redick was the X factor in those two games, getting the Clippers off to a great start in Los Angeles. He was a no-show tonight, and I watched the game really intently on seeing how well C.J. He wanted it more. He fought through those screens and really made those jumpers difficult for J.J., put a hand in his face. And if we can keep J.J. quiet like this, Portland is going to have a lot of success moving forward in the series. So the, the thing that I noticed about J.J. Redick was I didn't really notice him. And that is probably the best compliment you could say to, to C.J. for the, his defense. And the one three he made came off of a broken play where he was wide open. So other than that, he was extremely quiet. Once again, we got to give it up to the Blazer bigs. Uh, Blake Griffin was quiet yet again. 12 points, 5 of 16 shooting from the field. Only got to the line 12 times. Since he got to the line, or got to the line two times. Oh, okay. Since he got to the line 12 times in game one, he's only been there eight times over the course of games two and game three. Uh, seven rebounds, three turnovers. With Blake Griffin just now getting into his rhythm, Portland is forcing him to shoot jump shots, and that is really the toughest thing to get back into a rhythm with when you're an NBA player is that jumper. And when he's going through the regular season, you know, 82 games, that's money in the bank. But for right now, that's where you want Blake Griffin to live. 
And also, this was the second straight game where DeAndre Jordan was limited on the offensive end. He only had 11 points on four of seven field goals. Portland made him earn everything at the line, just three of 10. Yes, he had 16 rebounds and two blocks, but I didn't feel like he was just that Matumbo factor inside, eating up every single layup from Damon CJ. He was really quiet. I know it's tough to look at his stats and say 11 and 16. What are you talking about, Dustin? But just watching that game live in the arena, he wasn't affecting things like he did down in Los Angeles. And, I mean, he was such a dominant factor in Los Angeles. This one, it was just like, yeah, he's a really good player, but he's not the best player on the court at this time. How many minutes did Damian Lillard play? Dame played only 37. CJ played 42, actually. So the beautiful thing is Portland played game one on Sunday, had two days off in Los Angeles. Game two was Wednesday. They had two days off before they flew to Portland. Now each game has a day off in between, but these guys should be really rested and ready to go. Yeah, because honestly, in that four, I, I was like, damn, we need to play Dame this entire time. But I, I don't think he was in the entire time. And that I think he came in at like the nine-minute mark, and it was it was the perfect time. He got like three or four minutes for rest. And he knew the season was on the line. Terry knew the season was on the line. You can't go down 0-3. That has never happened in the NBA. It is extremely difficult to beat an NBA team four straight times after losing three in a row. It may happen one day. Blazers of 0-3 forced to game seven. But, again, nobody really remembers that because the Mavericks won the series. Watching these three games really instilled in me that we need a third consistent option. And we've said this in the entire playoff series. But how much easier would Damien's and CJ's life be if there was a consistent score? Doesn't matter where. I just want some consistency. Because Alan Crabb yeah. was high variance. Joe Henderson was sporadic. Just having that third consistent option would do so much good for this team. And preferably it would be in the low post. I mean, that, if, if we're talking, you know, strategically, that way it yeah. opens up the floor for Damon, CJ. You get your points in the paint. Hopefully you get the other big and foul trouble. Basketball, while dominated by the guards currently, still can just be one in the paint, back to the basket, scoring, just because there's so few of those guys. But even if you've got your small forward or stretch four, like Ryan Anderson. Yeah, like if Ryan, Ryan was there, that would have been, there would have been scoring. He can post up a little, but like, just some someone. It's just I so... Mean, if you had a guy like Kyle Korver, just that the defense had to respect, they're not going to be putting so much pressure on your guards. And I think that's priority number one for Terry. He knows, or excuse me, for Neil Olshay, he knows Portland needs a legitimate third option because you're not going to expect 60 or 59 points combined from Damon TJ every night, let alone in the playoffs. Yeah, and I mean, let's be real about Ryan Anderson. He's a... The, one of the best complimentary scorers I've ever seen, but he is not a go-to guy. He's a great complimentary dude. So if he's our fourth scorer, that's awesome. But I don't want him as our third. I want him as our fourth and our sixth man off the bench. I mean, yeah, I think Portland takes what they can get this free and is after. You, you find the five top free agents, and you just go one right after. And you, you've got to land a big one. And I think that's what we've been talking about. As great as it would be to find the next Alfred Camino and Ed Davis, those are great regular season players. And Ed Davis is one of my favorite players, really, of all time, and the Trailblazers, and I love Chief. 
Portland needs to swing for the fences, and he has to connect. We need help for Dame and CJ if we're going to take this further. Even if we win and go into the second round, that is a fantastic year. But that's not the goal. The goal is to hold that Larry O'Brien trophy, and the next step in getting there is an additional score. That actually brings up a really interesting point that I was thinking about before the playoffs started. What do you think the Portland's brass, the big people in charge, what is their ultimate goal? Is it to have a fun team that goes to the playoffs, or is it to compete? It, what do you think everyone's goal inside the Blazers organization is? Of course they're going to say win the championship first, but what do you think it really is? Is it to make money and have a fun team that competes, or are they really long-term? Well, if you asked me that question before the season, I would say long-term. Mm-hmm. They may have said all the right things in the, the summer press conferences yeah. with Neil Olshay saying, the playoffs, that was still a goal for us. We may have taken four starters off a play a 50-win team, but playoffs are still a goal. They may have said that. I don't know if they believed it. I think this team really put Neil Olshay into overdrive because you're not going to waste a prime years of Dame and CJ mm-hmm. trying to get better through the draft uh, slow process. They fast-forward a few times, just like in 2014 when that Blazers team came out of nowhere and beat the Rockets in the first round. Because if you remember that year, nobody thought we would make the playoffs. The previous year, we had lost 13 straight games, uh, ended up picking C.J. McCollum, had a pretty low-key uh, offseason getting Robin Lopez and like Thomas Robinson. People were writing this off. We started that season hot, and that really, really jump-started that rebuilding process. Here we are today. We know how we got there, but I think we're still in the same situation. Neil is going to go hard and heavy after the best free agent possible. And this team hasn't won a championship since 1977. They haven't been to the NBA Finals since 1992. They haven't been to the Western Conference Finals since 2000. We saw just how crazy it was Mm -hmm. for a first-round playoff series with our team down 0-2. You want to talk about money and being profitable? Mm-hmm. Get a team that goes to the finals. People will buy, buy, buy nonstop. I mean, hell, I know I would. And, and, I mean, it's, and it's a fun brand of basketball that people, because when I heard, when I, like, when I did my studying for this, for this show, it, I read a lot of things like, we want this to be a fun team to watch. That was one of those things that Neil O'Shea, Terry Stotts said over and over again. We want this to be a fun team how bad the Western Conference was until mid-season, and then they just flipped the script and said, yeah, we're going to be fun, but we're also going to win some games. So, yeah. It, well, I think they were telling the truth because I thought we were going to be a fun team to watch too. Mm-hmm. I was one of the biggest you know, opponents of LaMarcus Aldridge basketball. Give him the ball 18 feet from the basket, let him back down, shoot a contestant, fadeaway jump shot. I'm sorry. I do not like watching that type of basketball. Have fun with him, San Antonio. You're not going to win a championship with him. I mean... I knew we would take a step back. I didn't think we would end up with a fifth seed. I predicted 37 wins, but I thought we would be fun. We've got a lot of good players that, just, like I said, they're, they're not names. They're not sexy names. Oh, no, it's a they're very... Uh, a, a really, it's, a, it's a solid team, not a, not a sexy team. There's no... Tyreek Evans, there's no Eric Gordon. There's it's it's a substantive based team, not a 
a sexy flash in the pan type of team. It reminds me almost of like those Oakland A Moneyball teams. You're like, who? You're picking up him? Why? What would you do that for? Oh, he just had what ten point seven rebounds and four assists. Oh, okay, I see that. That's why you picked him up. Um, Neil Olshay is a very, very good general manager. Extremely well at his job. This franchise is in good hands, and whether fans want to accept it or not, the way the Blazers play in this playoffs, I think will impact their ability to sign free agents. If they push this goddamn thing to seven games or, you know, Lord, Lord willing win a playoff series, I guarantee you we will sign better free agents than if we would have went out in four games or five. Mm-hmm. So if we can keep this rolling, get it to six or seven free agents will look at us and say, I could have been that missing piece. Mm-hmm. I saw that series against the Clippers I, I could have helped out. And if you're thinking that's, you know, hyperbole or baloney, you're sorely wrong. Just look at that 30 for 30 with the Orlando Magic. Horace Grant was sitting there watching that Orlando Magic team in 93-94, and he's like, I could help them out. Mm-hmm. What do you know? They make cast space, they sign him, they go to the NBA Finals. Players look at that all the time, especially disgruntled players who want to get into a new situation. They know all about Portland. They know all about Dame the atmosphere. This is Basketball City USA. Mm-hmm. One last thing. You, you mentioned LaMarcus Aldridge's um, shooting in the dumb zone, which is mid-range jumpers. Yeah, I saw John Canzato uh, post a thing on Twitter that said, like, it showed the shot chart for the Clippers, and it was all mid-range jumpers. That was their entire offense. And if we can hold the Clippers team to dumb zone shots, it's going to help us in the long run. And a lot of those shots were off of a curl, Jamal Crawford, like double pumping, trying to make it. Chris Paul, a couple high arching shots. If they go in, you know, you just tip your hat and say, good shot, but you'll live with that type of, type of shot. Another way I thought the, I don't know how the Blazers are doing this. They turned the ball over 16 times compared to just 10 against the Clippers. One, they need to clean that up. But two, I do not know how they were. They played fantastic fantastic transition defense because they got back. Portland again outscored the Clippers in the fast break, 8-7. to seven. When you're taking a team who is known as Lob City, their offense is predicated on, on Chris Paul throwing lobs to DeAndre, and they're only getting maybe one or two of those a night. That is great defense. That's great effort and, and just a will and a desire by the Blazers to, to stop that from happening. And you want to talk about will and desire – you look at the rebounds, 56 to 44, Portland controls the glass, 16 to 11 on the offensive glass. This team just wanted it more, and I love that. Did you uh, happen to see that Steve Clifford interview after game two for the Hornets? I didn't. What did you say? He said that if we go out and win game three, you're going to say it's some huge adjustment by me. In in reality, it's not. We are just more fundamentally sound in Game 3 than opposed to Game 2 and Game 1. It's all fundamentals, which in this game, for the Blazers, it was. We were more fundamentally sound, more hungry, but also more fundamentally sound. Getting boards, actually making some shots, and that is how we won. We were more fundamentally sound this game than those other two. We still had negative things, but... We were more fundamentally sound than the, the Clippers were. Normally, I would agree with Steve Clifford, but again, we want to be fair on this podcast. I've got to 
you know, applaud Terry Stotts. I think the adjustment started in game two. He saw in game one just how difficult it was for even Portland to make one pass in their offense, let alone get off a good shot. He started using Plumlee more, and it started to work. Unfortunately, nobody could buy a bucket. Tonight, Portland got those same looks, except Damon CJ started hitting. If other players start to pick up that trend, it's going to be a long night for the Clippers because of that adjustment by Stotts. And it's now a pick-your-poison by Doc Rivers. What do you want to do? Do you want to let Plumlee initiate the offense, or do you want to stop blitzing Dame and CJ at half court? So for right now, the ball was in Portland's court until he finds a way to do that, until he finds a way to stop that. How did you feel about Chris Kamen? I thought he came in and really provided a, a nice punch. I hate when he gets the ball in the post and dribbles for like seven. Seconds. Just turn and flick the ball up. He had a couple of opportunities, but when he just catches and shoots, hell yeah, let that shit fly, man. Yeah, exactly. The post ups are just the thing that kill us because it kills the momentum of the offense, and you just have four guys standing around watching Chris Gaiman try and bully ball his way to the hoop. All right, Sage, I think now is a perfect time to take some fan questions. Let's start with bum, 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 bum. David Howe at Gamian Skillard. So Gillard and CJ took over. Plumlee went big, yet they only win by eight. Clips shot uh, a terrible percentage from three. What is our take on Crab and Chief stepping up? I'll give you first crack at this one. It needs to happen. It needs to happen. That I mean, it's... It, it, it it makes it so much more difficult when two of your main three-point shooters this year aren't hitting. So it, they need to be more consistent. That's my take. I think... They're taking good shots. They just Crab, I think, forced it. I think Crab completely forced it. He had a couple threes where he just caught and shot it. Like, there was a hand in his face. You could tell he didn't grab the ball correctly. His first shot was a floater from the elbow that didn't even hit iron. He is forcing it. He needs to chill. What I would do if I was Stotts is as soon as Crab gets in the game, run a play for him to get a wide-open look. And that's all you can ask and just hope he knocks it down. Because if he knocks it down, we've said it all year long, he is our Martel Webster. He's a streaky shooter. you got to take your chances with that. Chief, again, we're getting him good looks. I, I'd much rather him shoot one of five from three than, what, three of nine? If he knows it's not cooking from three, start doing other things, which he did tonight. And that shot block that he did on transition was epic. I mean, I saw him in the post a little bit more. And, like, I think this first basket of the game was he got it in the post, power dribbled, and then got it, uh, reversed it on uh, DeAndre. So he was doing other stuff than shooting a bad three-pointer. when it's Oh, yeah, for like fantastic defense he's consistently been our best defender this playoff so he definitely gets a pass ac on the other hand i know blazer banter said he's not going to lose a lot of money this offseason if he keeps playing like that he's going to lose money i'm sorry when gms look for a player you want to see somebody who rises to the occasion when the lights are brightest and he has been a complete no-show i i don't know if that helps portland do you want to bring a player back who doesn't perform well in the playoffs i'm not so sure the money's got to be right for me before the season, or excuse me, during the season, I would have given Crab any offer that he matched, but he needs to show me something. He 
is number one on my list that needs to step up. Long, uh, one of our favorite listeners, one of our most loyal listeners, Long Story Longer, day has one. a two-part from day one, A1 since day one. What's, what's, what's Alan Crabb up to? We've talked about why he's missing, but do you think it's mental? Do you think he's just pressing right now, Sage? I, I think a little bit. People are talking about it. He's well aware that he is struggling right now. So I think he, he just needs to settle down, maybe get some – he was really effective with those backdoor cuts earlier in this year. Maybe try and utilize some layups. Once he sees the ball go into the basket, I think things will be a little bit better. But yeah, wait. whether that's a wide-open three or even taking it closer all the way to the hoop, like I said, on a backdoor cut, a free throw. Just see that ball go to the basket. I think he'll just loosen up. Because if Portland has serious aspirations of advancing to the second round of the playoffs, the bench has to play better. They We have to get some help from our, our two young scorers. And her second question was, would you mind commenting on the officials? Until the last couple minutes, we had almost double the fouls. Um, I am still learning, but was tonight worse than usual? I'll take this one from the start. I don't normally like to complain officials i i don't think it's fair i think there are more than just one or two calls that determine the outcome of a game but that was one of the poorest games i've ever seen officiated she's completely right the fouls were 24 17 in favor of portland at one time it was 21 to 23 to 12 which is almost double portland's the home team we only had one team foul on the clippers throughout the majority of the fourth quarter it was only a smaller deficit because they fouled us as the game went and it is unfortunate but anytime you see tony brothers or scott foster officiating your game you tremble and i did because i knew they would be terrible whether it was the no call or the foul call on cole aldrich when he threw the ball out of bounds they called a foul on plumley and there were just so many throughout the game. I thought there were a lot of ticky-tack fouls that took some momentum away from the Trailblazers. There I don't was know. definitely some egregiously bad calls. And it was completely one-sided. You've got Doc Rivers after every single timeout beelining to an official, just whining and crying. And and then Chris Paul. Yeah, they're, they're an abomination to the game. Like, man up and play basketball. Like, do you really need the, these officials to win a game? I mean, it's not working. You you have never been to the conference finals, Chris Paul. You're likely never going to if we're talking about this year. So just man up and try to play basketball. You're a Hall of Fame player. You do not need this to be your legacy. But unfortunately, it's going to be his legacy. You're going to look back at Chris Paul, and you're going to say, Weiner. I mean, they, they, they cry after every single call, and you're going to, you get a reputation for that. And I told the fans next to me, we were talking – and I was like, as the playoffs go on, you're going to get less and less of these calls. Yeah, you're going to get them against the lowly, air quotes, Portland Trailblazers. But you think the refs are going to give you those calls against the Spurs or the Warriors or, heaven forbid, the Cavaliers? Hell no. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Chris Paul is a little much. But when he is doing it for your team, you're, you, you like it. But I agree that your coach has to be the, the person that's fighting for you. you got to have someone fighting for you, trying working the refs. I mean, in this... I think there's fighting and there's working the refs, and then there's just be outwardly aggressive about it. Every single time, it, 
I mean, it just Jordan, becomes a joke. To me. I mean, Jordan definitely worked those refs. I mean, you got to have your best player working the refs. There, I get, I get yeah. it. There's working the refs, There's but the, every single call, it just gets sickening. Just play basketball. That's what we came to see. I didn't come to see the refs make a, a bullshit call. I didn't see. I didn't pay money to come see you spend four, four, you know, seconds after the play, just completely yammering and yammering on to these, these officials. Lace them up. Let's play basketball. Best team wins. Tonight, Portland was the best team. Sage, going into game three, what is your X factor? What do the Trailblazers have to do, excuse me, going into game four to even up this series? I think it's those, I mean, it's so easy to say Alpha Camino and Crab hitting their shots, but they those two have to hit their shots. It makes things, life so much easier on Damian. I think that the two guards have to hit, but those help the role players have to actually play their game. So I guess confidence is my X factor for game four with our role players. I know CJ has it. I know Dame has it. But does Al Farouk, does Alan Crabb? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of keys, and I think they're keys we've been talking about this whole series. My number one key, though, continues to be three-point shooting. Sooner or later, they are going to hit those 15 that I've been just pleading for. Portland shoots just 6 of 25, which is 24% tonight. Thankfully, the Clippers are just as chilly, 3 of 18 or 17% from deep. If Portland can get it going 15 times from downtown, and that's likely Dame, CJ, and a couple other friends. You get the whole crew involved. It's a party Monday night, day before my birthday, early birthday present. I would be so thankful. <laughs> you're, really, you're really about this early birthday present. I'm about this early birthday present life. So three-point shooting is my number one. Number two is going to continue to be bench points. I don't think we have to win bench points, but we have to get within five points. Getting outscored 30 to 12, not going to cut it on most nights. And... My third X factor, hold the Clippers under 100 points. Those first two games, they really dictated the offense to get 115 in game one. They did have to scrap to get one or two in game two, but we held them to 88 points. I thought we played fantastic defense. And like you said, we keep them in the dumb zone, shooting those long mid-range shots all day long. Mm-hmm. So it is 12.24 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Blazers play Monday night at 7.30 do the Trailblazers tie up the series, Sage? Man, that is, that is the million-dollar question. I think they do because it's the Moda Center magic. I am going victory as well. Predicted a, We both predicted a win in Game 3. Again, night before my birthday. Olga's going to the game. Got my mom and my pops coming to the game. Last year they came to Game 4, the only game the Trailblazers won against the Grizzlies. I'm feeling those same vibes. I'm all about the vibes tonight. <laughs> and I think this team's got good vibes. Damon and CJ have got that swagger. And if they win Game 4, it is a brand new series. It becomes a best of three with each team started at 0-0. And the crowd, if you thought the crowd was loud tonight, Monday is going to be insane, especially if they start off well like they did. I'm going to make another X factor. First quarter, we need to lead after the first. You've got to get that crowd involved. Mm-hmm. All right, Sage. I think uh, that about wraps it up. For those who haven't taken advantage of this, go to evanm.com 
at checkout, enter Holy Backboard, you're going to take 20% on either the Dame Time Tee, the, the Dame 503 Tee, or the 503 Snapback. We're just giving you free 20% just for listening. So go to evanm.com, enter Holy Backboard, all one word, and use that code. A few of you already have. Gear it for the postseason. It's going to be a little bit longer than we expected, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Um, if, you, if you're loving this podcast, you know we've been churning out this uh, playoff content for you guys after each and every game. We're going to have another great guest on Monday, uh, Espo, the former Phoenix Suns social media manager, knows his stuff. It's going to be great to get an outsider's point of view. But before then, subscribe to us on, on iTunes. Give us that five-star rating. You can also find this podcast on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. And we're always on Twitter at Holy Backboard. So if you've got those questions or want a good follow during games, hit that follow button. Uh, Sage, it's been real. But uh, let's get some rest. Let's have a great rest of the weekend. And yeah, definitely go Trailblazers. Let's go.